From FasterMind.co, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy. For all the conversations there are these days around business and creativity, it's striking how little conversation there is around profit. And it might just be that when you think about the accounting principle of revenue minus expenses equals profit and putting profit at the bottom line, I wonder if that's some of the dilemma. Well, my guest today is Mike Michalowicz, and Mike is a genius. He has put together an amazingly elegant solution for freelancers and entrepreneurs and every level of business to reconsider the order with which they deal with their money. And just by one little tweak, one simple adjustment that if you play that all the way out, not only will you never have an April where you're scared about taxes, not only will you never be worried about getting paid because you'll have been paid way before everyone else, but you'll have done all of that systematically where you don't have to change a bunch of behavior. The system that you've built for your business will do it for you. And at the end of our time today, I dare you to not walk away rethinking the entire way that you're dealing with your cash, dealing with your revenue, and maybe even just reorienting the entire trajectory of where your business is going to go from here. Mike Michalowicz, welcome to Converge. Dane, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I am so, so happy. In fact, it's funny. I feel like it's been about, I don't know, half a year now that I've been anticipating you being on the show. <laughs> and and uh, and one of the reasons why I'm so excited is, and it's funny, a lot of the folks that I get a chance to work with in and around Fastermind, um, they hear me talk about your book all the time. And it's, the book, of course, is Profit First. And you've written a number of books, but Profit First in particular has really transformed my my own coaching and consulting with other people, my own business. Mm, I've totally it. done the drill myself. I've gone out and gotten the accounts and and gotten everything set up and and diligently every 5th and 20th every month doing the work. It's transformed everything. But of course, my friends at home who aren't familiar with the book and are listening to me talk right now, they don't get what I'm talking about. So let's frame up a little bit of your story, Mike. Like, how did you get to yourself to be in a position that you're in right now? You have, you know, massive bestsellers, really making a significant difference. Speaking in your community that you built is incredible. Talk a little bit about your history, and then I want to jump into profit first. Sure, sure. So uh, I'm an entrepreneur from the get go. Right after college, uh, in fact, I struggled to get a adequate job, so I got a job in the computer industry. And uh, very quickly, I said, well, "I'm going to start my own business in the computer industry," which I did. And had the good fortune of starting two businesses. One was computer networks, the basic stuff. I was a computer guy. The second business was in computer crime investigation. I sold the first to private equity, the second to a Fortune 500. During the process, fell in love with entrepreneurship. And uh, when I sold my second company, though, my ego exploded. I said, I, I figured this out now. I'm going to start multiple companies. I became an angel investor and went on to very quickly lose my fortune, lost everything. And uh, it became the perhaps the darkest period of my life, but also a restart. There's a famous saying that if you had all the money in the world or a famous question, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do with your life? And what's so powerful about that question is the freedom. You have the freedom to do whatever you want. Well, I found that question gets answered the exact same way when you have no money. So when I lost everything I'd made and I was at true rock bottom, I said to myself, well, I have nothing, no possessions. And when I have nothing, I have nothing to lose. What do I want to do? 
And I, I felt and feel called to be an author, to write about entrepreneurship, quite frankly, to fix many of my own errors and my own ways, but also to do the same for entrepreneurs, my fellow entrepreneurs. And so today I, I really feel called, if that's the right word, to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. I see that there's so many businesses that are missing just small elements. Some of them, you know, we're going to talk about profit first today, don't understand how to really achieve profitability. And it's a simple way to do it. There's other entrepreneurs that just don't understand how to grow. They feel trapped in their business. They don't know how to systematize. So I am slowly, methodically, but relentlessly writing book after book that addresses all of these different challenges that bring about an impoverished mindset. You're talking specifically to business at any level, like could be service, could be product, could be, you know, $5,000 a year or $50 million a year, $500 million a year, that that these principles work up and down the scale. Is that accurate? Yeah, they, they play out across the board for any type of business. My passion, though, is for small business. And when I say small business, I mean companies that do under $10 million in revenue. I mean the, the entrepreneur that has the hot dog stand is doing 50000 a year. Like my heart sings out to that community. That's where I lived and where I come from. And I think any business has the opportunity to grow to any size it wants. The, the right size business can find us, but we just need the tools to get there. So that, that's who I'm really speaking to. As an entrepreneur and, and freelancer myself who has been has messed up more than I've made, uh, I'm so grateful. In fact, I, this was the book that I, I think Dave Ramsey said something similar. Like, I, I wish I had gotten this much earlier in yeah. my career. Talk a little bit. I, I just want you to share that story of um, – you mentioned your ego blew up. It's funny. We actually – have a past guest on the show. It's a guy named Ryan Holiday. Wrote a book called "Ego." Oh yeah, he and I were just emailing back and forth uh, this morning. Yeah, great guy, great yeah. Ryan. But his new book, I'm so I'm just in the thick of right now. It's so fantastic, a perennial seller. Yeah, but Ryan has totally convinced me around this notion of ego that it's just it really is the enemy. And you have a very personal story to how that played out, that dark moment at the gas station. Could you share a little bit about what that felt like and looked like for folks? Yeah, so that's, that's when the, uh, the call came in. Uh, after I sold my second company, I became a self-made millionaire for the first time in my life and never had experienced that much money and didn't realize in the moment, but as my bank account grew, my ego exploded and I said, well, you know, now that I've arrived, literally kind of the words I was using, I said, you know, I'm going to buy all these cars I want, which I bought a Viper, a Land Rover, a BMW, all within four hours, by the way. You can, you can do that. That's hard work. That is it's, that it's hard work. It's an hard accomplishment. Work. <laughs> but my ego was fueled. You know, I moved into an expensive town. I wanted, I anticipated I'd buy the most expensive house in town. I'd, I was renting uh, as I was scouting out the property. I, I knew the exact house I wanted. All these elements. And I also said to myself, well, I know the formulas to success, so I'll become an angel investor. Well, through my collection of garbage, I say garbage, unnecessary stuff, these, the cars, the houses, the club membership, all those things, the sabbatical in Hawaii, it was, it was all really for ego. And being an angel investor, doing something I had no right to be doing, I, I had no experience, no knowledge in this space, I was able to eradicate my own wealth within less than two years. And so the call came in, I was at a gas station. Um, it was February 14th. I was just filling up to head home. And my accountant called and said, Mike, I think you should declare bankruptcy. And what was interesting about that moment, Dane, is that up to that point, 
while logically I knew I was losing money, I thought I was just one good fortune away from turning things around. That one big client, that one big moment, one big thing would turn around. So I emotionally hadn't accepted my collapse. Logically I got, but emotionally I didn't until this call came in and it just broke me. I went home that day, that evening to see my family and sat down at the dining room table with my wife, my two sons, my daughter, and started to share what was going on. Uh, up to that point, I'd never told them. I'd been lying, quite frankly, by omission, saying everything's okay, everything's great. And that is the day I had to say that it was all gone because we were losing our cars, we are losing our house, uh, we we're going to lose everything. And so I had to divulge what was going on. As I was saying this, and I was sobbing as I was explaining this, my daughter, nine years old at the time, just gets up and runs out of the room. It's kind of like one of those moments like if you get into some kind of threat, uh, danger, where everything kind of slows down. That's what it felt like. I saw her getting up and she's running. I was like, that's the answer. The answer to life's problems are when it's so dire, run away. Go where someone doesn't know who you are. And, and so I respected that she was running away and that I should do the same. The only thing is she wasn't running away. She actually ran to her room to get her piggy bank. She came down. She put it right in front of me and, and slid toward me in front of my family and said, Daddy, I'm going to support us. That moment was just devastating. It was a weird confluence of events. I was so embarrassed by myself. I was also so proud of her. And uh, that became ultimately an awakening for me. I went through actually depression and struggles. But I kept on looking back to that moment saying I can never put thrusts upon my family again. And I cannot allow anyone else to do this. And so that start me, started me on the path of, of fixing my wrongs, so to speak. And in particular, in that case, fixing profitability and finding a way to make every business consistently profitable, including my own. That story is amazing. When I hear, I have four kids too, I have a son and three daughters, and it speaks in my mind to, and my sweet wife as well, it speaks in my mind to a bigger story though than just financial profit. Like it just sounds like that's a metaphor for something much bigger for you. I'm curious to, in a minute, we're going to talk the numbers and the money piece yeah. of the equation, but, but is there anything, maybe this is out of bounds to ask about, but is there anything beyond just the money side of the equation that changed for you in that moment? Oh yeah. Well, nothing's out of bounds. The biggest thing was my ego got punched so hard. I, I consider it the moment it got ripped out of my soul because when you have a nine year old girl, a young woman step up with her life savings. And this piggy bank was wrapped in duct tape and stuff. And, you know, I never touched it. Of course, I, I don't know if there was a dollar in there or 10, but for her, it was an all in commitment to serving her family. The funniest thing, Dane is, uh, she's now 19 years old. She's had her 19th mm. birthday a few days ago. That's amazing. It's amazing, right? So that's 10 years ago, 19 years old. And I was driving with her back to college, driving her back to college, just me and her, this is last year. And I said, uh, hey, Adela, her name is Adela. I said, hey, Adela, you remember that day when you put the piggy bank in front of me? I'm telling you, that's the most important day of my life. And she looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I said, what do you mean? She goes, I don't remember doing that. And for a minute, it kind of, that was kind of a sad moment. Like this is the most, this is the moment that when I pass away, my final breath, I know that's the moment I'm going to remember. I just know it. And she doesn't recall that even happening. And what I came to realize only seconds later, that's who she is. When there's crisis, she's the one who steps up to serve. So I think the greater reminder and lesson my daughter gave me was, we are here to serve. My job is to serve others. And in my own stories, my own challenges, 
I'm not a Sloan Island. This is representative of what so many people go through. So every time I face a challenge in business, and I still run businesses, I'm still an entrepreneur. When I face a challenge, I've come to realize rarely am I the sole one going through this. I need to find a solution, but I feel so compelled now to share it with as many people as possible. So compelling. Well, let's turn a corner just for a second to the the idea within the book. And I, it seems to me, and I, I know this is not uncommon, that there's a, a particular accounting formula that's very commonly understood by folks. But when you've done something incredibly elegant and profound, and actually it's the kind of thing, and I'm sure I'm not the first one to think this, like, why the heck did I not think of this before I read it in Mike's book? But talk a little bit about the GAAP shift that you made and uh, explain that to our audience. Yeah. So there was a an aha moment with profitability that came to me. It's in the GAAP formula. GAAP stands for Generally Accepted Accounting Principles. And here's what triggered it. I heard a study that 83% of small businesses are not profitable. And it was conducted, I think, in part by the SBA and some other entities. But when I heard the statistic, I was thinking, like, that means there are millions. I mean, literally in the U.S., there's 28 million small businesses. There's millions and millions of entrepreneurs who can start a business, run a business, they're intelligent enough to attract clients, deliver their service or product, collect money. Like they get all of the facets right. And there's thousands of components necessary to run a small business, but they don't figure out profit. Like what's missing in everyone's brain? Like what's wrong with us? And that was my aha. How could everyone have a mindset malformation? There must be something else. And it pointed me right to that formula. And the gap of formula says that we take our sales, we subtract our expenses, and the remainder is profit. It's the, it's the foundational formula. Everyone listening to the show, Dane, knows it. Sales minus expenses equals profit. But there's a massive problem with it. 83% of businesses aren't profitable. And the reason is, is that formula doesn't address behavior. Yes, it's logical. Spock gets it. But <laughs> it's not behavioral in that when we put something last, in this case, we're told that profit's last. It's a human tendency to disregard its significance. It's like if I went to the hospital for a heart problem and the doctor says, you know what, you got you to gotta really address your health, Mike. I don't come out of the hospital saying, starting today, I'm going to put my health last. Of course, I say I'm going to put my health first. So what we put first gets prioritized, what comes puts last gets ignored. And so what I see in business after business, including myself for so long, is at the year end, I look and see if I had a profit. When I didn't, and I rarely, actually, I never really did. I'd say, well, maybe next year. It became this kick the can down the road. When profit comes last, it's something that we look for in the future. It's a hopeful eventuality. But I simply suggest we flip the formula. Sales minus profit equals expenses. And this isn't anything new. It's the pay yourself first principle. We, we've heard this in our lives elsewhere. I'm just the guy that says, this applies to business too. So as sales comes in, we immediately take a predetermined percentage to a profit and tuck it away. And now... Profit isn't an eventuality, a hopeful, an event one day. Profit is baked into our business because every transaction, every dollar that comes in, a percentage goes toward profit. One of the reasons why I love this so much is I've experienced it. I didn't just read about it and go, oh, that's clever. I went, oh, well, wait a minute. Does this actually play out? Is this, that's great. If, I can, if I can strain my 
It, well, first of all, if I honor my behavior, I think that's the brilliant part of it. it under the hood, you basically say, yes. I'm not going to ask people to change who they are. You're saying, these are people are probably going to behave the way they behaved. And you're setting them up in the midst of predictable behavior to behave in a way that's going to serve them as opposed to hurt them. And what I especially loved in practice was, and I didn't anticipate this, was basically you're tricking people into constraining their expenses. Because if I get revenue and I pull out my, you know, paying myself and you you have a nice, a really helpful plan that's doable to set my taxes aside so April isn't terrifying right. and all the other pieces that go to play. Once that's all set aside, I'm left with a littler net that I get to run my business on. And what I discovered really quickly, and I'm guessing I'm not the only guy in town, is if I can't run my business on that little amount, guess what? I won't be profitable no matter what. Like I'm just, I'm seeing the future, even though it's happening because of the way you've reversed things. I'm, I'm bringing the future to now. It tells me that if I can't be profitable on that little amount of money, I probably should just go get a job at Starbucks because it would be more helpful to do that where I'm guaranteeing I'm going to get paid than it would be to go the other route. Am I reading you right? Oh my, you nailed it. We are reverse engineering profitability and it forces the hard decisions to happen now. So how it works is say a thousand dollars came in and say we, we set our profit percentage to 10%. I want to have a 10% bottom line. Well, every time a deposit comes in, a thousand dollars comes in, we immediately take 10% put it to profit. So now we have $900 to address the rest of our business. And in the book, I talk about allocating money for tax. You talked about that the pay of the owner. It's important that small business owners understand profit and pay is totally different. And I just want to explain that real quickly. Like if I own stock in say Ford, I expect every quarter for them to do a profit distribution. When they send that check, I'm appreciative of it, but I don't say, oh, you know, Ford, take the money back. Uh, You guys really deserve it. You should grow the company more. No, I keep that money because I took a massive risk. At least I consider it seriously a big risk. I invest in their stock. I don't know if it's going to go up or down. And I'm not in control. I'm just an investor that I gave money. So when it yields a profit, I want to take it. And that's what we need to do in our business. We, as an owner of the business, as an equity owner, we took a risk in starting this. When the business yields a profit, that is our reward for taking that risk. The other side, though, is I don't, with my ownership in Ford, I don't just walk over to Ford and say, hey, I'm your newest car designer. I don't just show up and expect a job. <laughs> because a job is where the company sees you as the best suited person to work with in the business and makes an offer and compensates you through a salary. So in our small business, owner's comp is a reward for us for working in the business. It's, it's compensation for doing the most important job. So profit is recognition or reward for being an equity investor, and your compensation is a reward or compensation for working inside the business. Now, we allocate the money to these different accounts. So we have $1,000 comes in, 100 bucks goes to profit, other percentage goes to other accounts. We see at the end of the day, maybe there's $400 left for operating expenses. That $400 is what you must run your business off of. And this is your business giving you direct feedback on how to run your business. The wonderful thing is, and you, you said it so well, Dane, is if the money's not there, you can't run your business. It is forcing smart decisions today. I have a real simple saying. If you can't pay your bills with that 400, you can't afford your bills. You must find ways to run your business more efficiently, and you must find ways to increase your margins. I'll be back with the rest of the conversation right after this short break. Have you invested in conferences or workshops that left you empty-handed? There was great content, and you had great ideas about what to go do with it, but no change actually happened. That's not okay. 
at Go Summit, we're committed to helping you take action. To do that, we add personalized coaching and customized marching orders alongside the inspiring speakers, amazing location, and fun networking events. Honestly, there's nothing quite like it. Register today before tickets sell out at fastermind.co forward slash go summit. I don't want to just tell my experience over and over again, but I know you've had literally thousands of conversations around this with folks and, and you actually have a really elegant tool in your book that if you're listening to this, you guys must run out today. Profit first, Mike McKellowitz in it. You talk about this very quick, like 30 second back of a napkin, little test to see if you can afford your bills, if you can afford your business yeah. and how to apply it right away. And what I love about that is you kind of give a snapshot in advance of the little bit of work it takes to kind of get yourself set up. So you can see in advance how it's going to play out once you've been set up. I don't know if it'll translate on audio, but is there a way to talk through that quick little test so folks at home could pull out a napkin and actually do something right now? Is that possible? Yeah, I'm going to do it. So I call it the instant assessment. It does help to have the book because we got to get some percentages, uh, but you can also download it for free. It's on my website for free. But what you do is we got to determine the major categories where we spend money. So let me just give you an example. And I'm doing this on top of my head, so I made the percentages wrong. But a business that does, we'll say a million dollars in revenue. What you do is take your annual revenue, so say it's a million dollars, and then we subtract historically what have you allocated in profit, meaning how much has your business done as a profit distribution? Now, be clear about this again. This is a reward not to support your lifestyle. So some businesses, based upon their formation, may give you what's called a distribution, but really it's salary because you live your life off of it. Most businesses that go through this assessment find that the business has given a zero profit. So you put zero in that row. The next row is owner's compensation. How much have you received in distributions or compensation to support your lifestyle from the business? Say $100,000 off a million-dollar business. Then the next column is or row is tax. How much has the business paid in taxes on your behalf? Most people find that that $100,000 of income they had, as an example, that they actually pay their taxes. So $35,000 over the year has been deducted from those checks or whatever and gone to the government. So they didn't make $35,000 net. They actually made $65,000 net. But because it was taken from the owner's personal pay, we still leave in the owner's comp category and the tax is zero. And then we find out the remainder is $900,000 for operating expenses. Then in the book, what I did is I analyzed all different size fiscally elite companies, companies that do $250,000 in revenue or less, which are usually micro businesses. They have one or two employees, or maybe just the owner themselves. 250 to 500, 500 to a million. I did this all the way up to $50 million companies and found what the fiscally elite allocate toward profit. Now, a million dollar business, and I'm kind of winging this because I don't have the percentages in front of me and I don't have them memorized, but roughly allocates 10% to profit. Another, say, 15 or 20, I think it was 20% to owner's comp, 15% to taxes, and the remainder to operating expenses. So that means a million-dollar business, $100,000 is being reserved just for a profit distribution. The owner's taking home another $200,000. And on top of that, $150,000 is reserved for taxes because when you're making $200,000 plus getting a $100,000 bonus, sadly, but realistically, you're going to have a serious tax bill. The business will pay it. But that also means that instead of a million dollars to run your business, 
you have the difference, which is whatever, $650,000 or $550,000 in operating expenses. So you run this assessment, you see where you are, and then the goal becomes not to immediately cut over to these other percentages. It's too abrupt of a change for most businesses. Instead, start where you are and slowly, incrementally, every quarter, slowly improve your profitability. If you've never done profit before, change it from 0% to 1%. If you had historically 1%, move from 1% to 2 But you keep doing that each quarter, keep improving things. And then over a short period of time, maybe a year or maybe two, you'll be hitting what the optimal companies hit. So practically speaking, for a lot of the folks on, who are listening here who are running businesses, let's say it's just for argument's sake. I know there are lots of companies that are more than this, but for this, the micro businesses you're describing, they're sub $250,000. Their real revenue is the money that's coming in. And you have some, if there's in certain industries, there's some adjustments that you make, but just for the sake of now, let's just say that you take your money that's coming in, your real revenue, and you're saying the best of the best, and I'm looking at your book now relative to the percentages, the best of the best in those micro businesses, they take about a 5% profit. They pay themselves about 50%. Mm -hmm. They take about 15% in tax and about 30% is what they operate on. So if they bring in, let's call it $300,000, then $100,000 well, a little less, is their operating expenses. That's right. So that's how it all plays out when it, they look back over the whole year. But when they're looking forward at it, you're saying, okay, real revenue comes in. Before you get started on paying any bills, you're going to pull maybe a percentage out at the beginning, but try to get up to 5% in time. Your owner compensation, you're going to pull out what you need to get paid to pay your bills just in life because this is your salary. You're definitely going to pull out your 15% in tax because the tax man is going to make sure they get paid. Then what's left over is the operating expenses. And if that's 30% on a 300 grand or whatever, it's, it's around 100 grand. But even if it's 100 grand, that's basically like you got to run your business off of about $33,000. And if folks are tracking at home, that can feel scary because inevitably people are going to come up against themselves and go, yeah, but I have to pay for my my lease for my car or I right. have to, right. I've taken on all these expenses that are more than I can afford. And in that reveal, that's when the work begins. Like yeah. People begin the process of finding a way. Is that accurate? That's accurate. That's your business saying you're not ready for that. That lease is excessive. You're not. You're not ready for this. That's the, I call it the ice bucket challenge. People do this and they say, "Well, uh, I need <laughs> to spend perfect. this. I need to spend this money." And the question is, really, do you really need to spend that money? You see, we can for a period of time, and sometimes it goes for months or even years. We can cloak an unhealthy business by moving money around, you know, borrowing from Peter, stealing from Paul. We can do all these things, but eventually we're going to have to fold the company. It's an internal Ponzi scheme, basically. So Profit First makes it really abrupt and in our face. And then we have to make the hard decisions of cutting unnecessary costs. I did this for myself, and I had to ditch the cars and so forth. And my worry was, what will people think of me if I don't own this, if I don't possess it? What I found out is no one cares. No one cares. No one (laughs) really cares about me. I care about me. My family cares about me, but no one else cares about me. They care about them. And conversely, I don't care about them. My focus is me. So when we make these decisions that really just satisfy ego and how we think we're going to impress others, it's really not the case. So once I realized that and I started cutting costs, I really tore off the Band-Aid. I cut costs big time in my business. And when people adopt profit first, that's what they do. I find, by the way, that any business, almost any business can cut 10% of its costs overnight. There are superfluous ego costs. There's other things that are infrastructural costs that are truly necessary but there's a lot of ego costs. So we can cut that. And then often the other part where we need to really improve our business is increasing margin. So many of us undervalue ourselves. 
or we pick the price of the market and just say, well, I'm going to try to compete with the market. And my belief, and Profit First shows you that, is that you got to increase margin. you got to introduce new value, distinct value, be different from the market so you can dictate those premiums. And the combination of cutting unnecessary costs, being more innovative, more frugal, and finding ways to increase margin, that's what brings about a profitable company. And that's the art of business, right? That's the fun part. Yeah. It's actually doing that cleverness. How do I lie low, sell high? How do I put myself in a position where my game wins? If you're playing this game, and, and, and this is so helpful. It's so funny because with my clients, I try to explain it, and I'm just going to point to the podcast. So thank, thank you. This is great. <laughs> They'll oh, buy your you book yeah, and right. learn the conversation. Have you explain it. So I want to talk about two possible outcomes as we're finishing up here. So one possible outcome is, you know, here we are, there's these folks at home who are hearing this and there, and I know there's, there's literally listeners right now who are sweating. They're like, crap, I can't do that. Or that might be me. And they're feeling both like, if it is that ego, like they're buying status thing and they know it, even as they're hearing these words, they're like, ah, oh, that's me. I thought I was what I drove or whatever. Like they're rethinking that, or they're just feeling the stress or even philosophically internally, they're, they're wrestling with like, do I have a viable business or not? This is the way to find out. And what I love about what you're bringing, Mike, is you're saying you've been there, you have their ear, you've been in their shoes, you have authority, you've worked it out on the other side. And with literally hundreds and hundreds of businesses, if not thousands, this is totally doable. But in that, you're calling them to specific action. Like they have to take specific moves. It's not just enough to get the book. You're going to get the book. You're going to keep sweating. You're going to go through the process. But if they go through the drill and, well, actually, let's ask it in reverse. If they don't go through the drill, whether they use this system or something else that'll put them in an actually profitable space, if they don't go through the drill, talk about what tragedy looks like, because you've seen it up close. Oh, yeah. Well, I've lived through it, right? So if you don't change, neither will the results. So look where you are today. And if you're dissatisfied or unhappy with it or feel anxious or scared, this will only continue. And it often amplifies because when we don't make a change and address profitability, the only thing we think we can address is sales. So we try to sell more. We broaden out our service set. We say, well, I'm only doing one thing. I got to do three things and 10 things. And with that diversity in our offering, with trying to push more, our skill set has to broaden. And so it actually puts more stress and demand on us. The end is often pretty ugly. It's where we start to resent our business because it's not making any money for us. We're working harder than we've ever worked in our lives. So we're exhausted and resentful. And that's where businesses end up. In the worst case, then you got to file bankruptcy, which means now you're indebted in a new way, it's not to your debtors, but you're indebted that you can never get credit again, or at least for a long period. And there's a lot of punitive results. So that's what we want to avoid, that eventuality. Here's the other alternative. When people make these decisions, and it, I love the method of the Band-Aid, because it smarts for a tenth of a second when you pull the Band-Aid. Right. And like anything that's hard, once you get on the other side of hard, we kind of forget how hard it was. But talk about what life is like for those who follow this out and their life literally transforms. So I can even walk you through the arc. We, we have now 30,000 companies. That's our estimate that are oh running profit gosh. first. That's incredible. Yeah. We have over 75,000 readers of it and it's growing daily significantly, but faster and faster. It's actually, we can't even measure anymore. But here's the, the case studies we get. And it's always the same arc. The first week or two of implementing profit first, there's an immediate relief of stress because now it's like, oh, 
now I have a new way, an easy way of managing money. And we didn't really dig into it, but you can continue a habit that most entrepreneurs have, which is you log into your bank account and see what your balance is. Your accountant, by the way, says never do that. And profit first, I'm saying absolutely do that. That's your natural behavior. Let's leverage that. So there's an immediate release of stress. Like, oh, okay, at least now I have a way that works with my natural behavior to manage money. Then though comes the, oh crap moment. Like, oh my God, I got to make some hard decisions here. I got to cut costs. I got to increase margins. Uh, This isn't working for me. So people in many cases will say, I got to go back to the way it was. But then, and this this is the moment, this is the dip. If you can get past the dip, then you skyrocket to success. So people that, that stick with and say, okay, listen, if I go back to the way it was, I'm going to get what I had. I don't want that. I'm going to continue through this. I'm just going to do it slowly and consistently. And that's the key. We don't jump to the perfect numbers. We build our way there. What happens to them is they start to climb out. They're like, oh my gosh, this really is working for me. Then they often eradicate their debt. A lot of businesses, small businesses have debt, be it credit card debt, personal loans. They first eradicate that. They see their profit purse piling up. And then the distributions come out. Once the debt's eradicated, they start taking that money, and it's just constant reward. Profit First is all set up around natural behaviors. So one of the mechanisms is that quarterly reward. We uh, July 1st was our last quarter that uh, was the distributions came out, and we're only 60 days away from as we're recording this from my next profit distribution, and there's already money in my reserve. So it becomes this anticipation thing. At the end, I no longer resent my business. I fall back in love with my business, and I have confidence and I'm stress-free. And I think that's what it's about, to do what we feel called to do without the stress of how am I going to survive? In fact, when you start taking profit first, it's all about what am I going to do with this extra profit cushion I have? It's a pretty exciting position to be in. Profit First by Mike Michalowicz is available. And I'm not joking, friends. You must go get this book. If you're feeling any of the pain that was described in this conversation, uh, this is not optional. This is what business guys and women do if they want to thrive. This is a a proven pathway to get you where you want to go. And Mike, I just cannot thank you for the contribution. You you are fulfilling your call. You are changing lives. And I could not be more uh, grateful to get to know you a little bit. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Dane. It's been a joy. This was episode six, season three of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge Podcast is brought to you by Fastermind.co, where we help entrepreneurs go from knowing to doing. Get started free today by finding out your Fastermind owner score. Go to Fastermind.co. Music for this episode provided by TripleScoopMusic.com. What does your story sound like? This episode was mixed and produced by Podcast Fast Track. <laughs>